We are bombarded every day with news of war and tragedy and contention, the loudness of conflict. This is the season where we don't like to think about such things. The phrase peace on earth is something that we can all get behind. But conflict, contention, death, they're inevitable as long as there's sin in the world. The Israelites knew all too well about the concepts of sin and death. They longed for the one the prophets said would come, the one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The wise men journeyed on from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, keeping their eyes on the star that would lead them to the Christ child and carrying with them their gifts of gold, a gift fit for a king, frankincense to honor and worship Emmanuel, God with us, and myrrh. Like frankincense, myrrh was a fragrant resin. It was used to perfume garments and as an ointment for burial, but it also has healing properties. Myrrh is harvested by wounding the tree and waiting for the resin to seep out. As the wise men carried this exceptionally valuable gift on their journey, do you think the words of the prophet Isaiah were brought to mind? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Do you think the wise men comprehended the gravity of who it was they worshiped when they bowed down and presented their extravagant gifts? Did they understand the myrrh they gave him was a foreshadowing of his burial? The gift of myrrh serves as a fragrant reminder that the one who came to silence the noise of our chaotic world has the power over sin and death. He is the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here uh, this morning. If you have your scripture, whether it be the actual Bible itself or on your phone, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look in chapter 53, and we're going to look at three verses today, three through five. Now, these are the words of the prophet Isaiah, who foretold Jesus' birth 700 years before Jesus came. And, and the words that we're going to read this morning specifically talk about the horrible suffering, pain, and rejection that Jesus would be subject to in order to be the substitutionary sacrifice for you. So look with me, if you will, in Isaiah 53, I will read these verses, starting in verse three, the scripture says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces while as he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So if you came here this morning thinking you were gonna get a happy, cheerful Christmas message, you're welcome. (laughs) They gave me the hard one, all right? So of the three gifts that was brought to King Jesus by the wise man, myrrh represents and points to the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna go there today. And that's what we're gonna look look at. Now I know in a room this size, there's bound to be some people in this room that have some heavy hearts. There's bound to be some people here that are also in the midst of some kind of a suffering or some kind of pain in this moment. Now, maybe for you, this Christmas is gonna look a little different than it has in the past. Perhaps this is the first Christmas without your spouse or your father or your mother or maybe even a child. For perhaps this morning, your marriage is just on the rocks and it's just in shambles and you have so much pain and heartache because of it. Or perhaps for you, maybe it's a kid and maybe you're estranged from that kid or maybe it's even a grandkid and there's a fractured relationship and walls have been built and there's bitterness and there's pain and maybe for you, it's a medical diagnosis. But you come to this place with heavy hearts. No, I am not in any way trying to compare your suffering, your pain, your heartache with what Jesus Christ suffered, not at all. But I'm simply trying to acknowledge that there are some here with some very heavy hearts. And some of you are absolutely knee deep in it. And if you're not, just wait. Because one thing I know is true of all of us. We've all had pain and suffering in the past and there's no doubt about it. We will have pain and suffering in the future. And some of us may just be experiencing it now. I loved what Charles Spurgeon, the great English pastor said about sorrow and suffering. This is what he said. The road to sorrow has been well trodden. It is the regular sheep track to heaven and all the flock of God have had to pass along it. And so as we look at Christ's suffering this morning, the the thing that I really want us to dig down into and the thing I really want us to walk away from is that as we keep Christ's suffering in view, uh, our own pain gains purpose and meaning through his transformative and redemptive power. Will you pray with me as we kind of dive in? Father, this morning, no doubt, the subject that we are talking about is heavy. And Father, there's no doubt that there's people in this room that heavy, have heavy hearts. And some of them are just bleeding, Father, of just pain, suffering, grief that they feel. But Father, help us understand that you sent your son, King Jesus. He died a horrible death for us. And Father, there is not one range of emotions that we experience that Jesus does not understand. 
And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would provide comfort to us today, that you would be our interpreter today, that you would take the words that are said, the words that are preached, Father, and that you would allow them through your spirit to be a great comfort to our people here. So we dedicate this time, we dedicate this service to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's look at the third gift that the wise man brought Jesus, myrrh. You know, as I've prepared this message, uh, I've had this phrase kind of spinning over in my mind, and I don't know where it came from, or at least I didn't for a while. And, And I just kept saying this over and over again. I just kept saying, myrrh, what in the world is myrrh? And I kept thinking, where, where, did, where have I heard that before, right? And then I remembered, ah, oh, I remember our own Carrie Varnell a few years ago was leading the kids portion of our Christmas service. Now, now mind you, many of, how many of you know Carrie Varnell in the room? Just raise your hand. Okay, she's awesome, right? If you were at Wonderland last night, if you had volunteered at Wonderland, if you were a guest and you went to that road to Bethlehem, that was all Carrie Varnell. Like it was her dream, her desire, her creativity. I don't even know if she's in the room right now, but can we just thank her? It was phenomenal. So, so good. All right, into parentheses. So a couple Christmases ago, coming out of COVID, Carrie led us in the kids portion. We didn't want to have all the kids up here. And so she led the kids portion of our Christmas Eve service. And this is what happened. Watch the screen. I'm going to tell you the story, and when I say the name of the gift that you have, you're going to hold up the card, and I'm going to tell you what to say, okay? Um, So if you have gold, hold your card up if you have gold, right, like Miss Bailey here, if you have gold. Okay, when I say gold in the story, you're going to hold that card up, and you're going to say, ooh, gold, okay? You ready? One, two, three. Three, ooh, gold. That's great. You guys did such a good job. Okay, now who has frankincense? Do you have frankincense? Okay, Ellison has frankincense down there. If you have frankincense, hold up your card. I see them out there. Hold up your card real high. And you're gonna say, mm, that smells good. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Let's, let's practice. One, two, frankincense. That smells good. Okay, good. And then last, uh, we have myrrh. Liam has myrrh. Do you have your, oh, there you go. Okay. And so when I say the word myrrh, you're going to say, what in the world is myrrh? Okay. Ready? Can you hold your card up? Here we go. One, two, myrrh. What in the world is myrrh? Good job. Y'all are so good at this. Okay. Okay, so that's been on my mind the last two weeks, right? I just hear it over and over and again. So listen, you, you gotta help me. I need company here, right? I'm gonna put the words on the screen and we're gonna try it in this room, all right? So I want you to be animated. I want you to be excited. I want you to be very inquisitive, right? And so can we do this? Can you say it with me? All right, ready? One, two, three, myrrh. What in the world is myrrh? That's so good. Good job, give yourself a hand. All right. Well, listen, this right here, this is myrrh. This is a gum-like resin 
that comes from the Camorfa tree. You can find this tree in the northern Africa, all across Arabia, moving east to the rest of the Middle East, into India, rest of Asia, all in that area. And this is where the wise men came from. And myrrh, it's interesting because if you look at the Hebrew word of myrrh, it means bitter. It means sorrow. The word in Hebrew for this little thing right here is mara. Now, I'm reminded, just last sermon series, we looked at Ruth, remember? And in Ruth, if you remember, Naomi went back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and she had been away from Bethlehem for quite a long time. But when she got back to Bethlehem, uh, all of her friends saw her and they remembered her and they knew her and they walked up to her and said, Naomi, oh, Naomi, it's so good to see you. And Naomi said this, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life bitter. See, in biblical thought and Hebrew thought, a name does not simply identify you, rather it expresses the, the existential nature of the bearer of that name. Names are extremely important in biblical times. So it's not just by coincidence or happenstance that this is called myrrh, that means bitter. Now let me show you a picture of the tree that we get this from. This is the Camorpha tree. It's a beautiful tree, isn't it? Uh, if I was ranking trees in the order of their beauty, I don't think I would put this on the list. This tree just simply looks worn out. It looks ugly. It looks tired. It looks like it's just been in pain, right? The leaves are sometimes green, but mainly they're brown and a dull grayish color. And it, and it doesn't take anybody any, long, any length of time to think, that must produce something that's called bitter. But have you ever wonder how you get this from that? What would happen is you would take a knife and you would walk up to the Camorpha tree and you would put that knife deep into the bark of the tree and you would wound that tree. And you would cut gashes all along that tree. And as you do, uh, you would leave it and then a couple weeks would go by and deep within this tree would be this resin or this gum-like substance and it would bubble out and that they actually say it would bleed out of the wounds. And it would form these teardrops on the surface of the tree. And if I was gonna be the one to the harvest the myrrh, I would come and take a knife and I would cut off these teardrops from the Camorpha tree. And myrrh in those days had a couple purposes. Uh, mainly, it was used as a painkiller. And it was also used as a spice that would prepare a body for burial. We see both at play in the life of Jesus uh, at the end of his life. We see on the cross, when Jesus was hanging there, he was offered a, wix, a mixture of wine and myrrh. And this was known as a dulling agent that was given to criminals that hung on the cross that that may just numb just a little bit the excruciating pain that they experienced on the cross. But Jesus did not drink it. He rejected it because he wanted to face the full 
front of what was happening to him for you. He wanted to face the full effect of the punishment and the suffering that he had there on the cross. And then after Jesus died, his body was given to the care of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Scripture says that Nicodemus was with them and together Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of this mixture of aloe and myrrh. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus's body and they prepared it for burial. And they took strips of linen and they lined his body with this. And then they added this aloe mixture on it and they did layer after layer after layer. And they used all of this 75 pounds and that was preparing Jesus's body for burial. So it's easy to see and scholars agree that myrrh represents Jesus as our suffering servant. It speaks directly to his suffering and his pain. So let's go back to our main thought this morning. So as as we keep Christ's suffering in view, our own pain gains purpose and meaning through this transformative and redemptive power. Let me ask you, when is the last time you kept Christ's suffering in view? What does that even mean? When is the last time you really contemplated the weight of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? Maybe it was last Easter. Maybe it was the last time that you took communion, the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you can't remember the last time that you really thought about and contemplated the weight of the sacrifice and the suffering that Jesus made for you and for your behalf. It's not something that we talk about this suffering, is it? It's not something that's just commonplace. It's not like I gather my boys around and I say, hey boys, good news. Your mom and I have great dinner conversation. We're gonna talk about suffering tonight. Well, we don't do that. In fact, we don't even like to talk about it. Now, sometimes if you're in the middle of it, you talk about it. But even if you're in the middle of it and you go up to somebody and you know they're suffering, you know they're in pain and you say, hey, how are you? How are things? I'm fine. Everything's good. Yeah, thanks for asking. Little struggle, no big deal, I got it. It's suffering and pain are just things that we mask. But in order for us to understand and have meaning to our suffering, then we need to regularly visit Christ's suffering. There's a few words I want us to draw our attention to in the text today. In verse three, it says, he was despised and rejected by men. Now in our English language, when you hear that word despised, you naturally think of this highly charged emotional thought of this hate and this scorn. Now Jesus certainly was hated and he certainly was scorned, but that's not the idea that the prophet Isaiah had in mind when he said he was despised. See, in Hebrew, the idea of being despised is just simply that you were worthless or that you were unworthy of attention. It carries this idea that people would reject Jesus simply because they would not not see Jesus as having anything of any significance for them. That Jesus just wouldn't even be a thought in their mind. Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel worthless, isolated, overlooked? Do you, do you ever feel that if you're in a room of 100 people, you feel like you're the only one there? If that's you, I, 
I desperately want you to understand this morning that Jesus Christ understands every pain, every suffering, every emotion, every heartache that you're experiencing. And that's why it's important for you and for me to lean into this grief because you will realize that you are not alone in this. Look at verse four. Verse four says that surely he has borne our griefs. This is our grievances. This is our sin. This is my sin and this is your sin that created a problem that the only solution was that Jesus had to die and he had to suffer for our sake on the cross. The only thing that Jesus could fix. And then look at these two words in verse five. Pierced and crushed. This speaks to the physical agony and physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. So what Jesus, excuse me, what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus came, it came true. In the garden, Jesus told the disciples that his soul was sorrowful even to the point of death. It was not long after that in the garden that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. This is a known medical condition where you are in so much agony and pain that the capillaries in your forehead bust and it mixes with sweat glands and you actually sweat out blood. It was there in the garden that Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, would you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Not long after that, Judas, one of Jesus' own, Jesus' friend, he lived life with Judas. Judas betrayed him. Jesus was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was unfairly tried. And he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. He was stripped naked. He was beaten in the face. He was blindfolded. The men around him spit on him. They pulled his beard out. They flogged him. And this is a a horrible form of torture where they would whip him and little glass and metal beads at the end of these leather whips would dive deep into your back and they would pull yanking off flesh. They put a purple robe on him that signifies royalty, but they only did it for the purpose to mock him. They placed a crown of thorns with one to two inch thorns on his head and they pushed that thorn down on the crown of his head and those thorns buried deep into his skull. They mocked him saying, hell, king of the Jews, they spit on him some more. And then they ripped that purple robe off of him. No idea how much time had passed, but no doubt that purple robe had begun to set onto those wounds on his back. And they ripped that off of him. And then he was forced to carry his crossbeam, about 100 pounds, to the place of the crucifixion. And once he he arrived at that place, they took six to nine inch nails and they hammered them through his wrists and through his feet. And then he hung 
on the cross for you and me. The cross was a brutal form of execution. It was reserved only for the vilest of criminals. Yet Jesus hung there completely innocent. He hung there for you and he hung there for me. The scripture teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus on that cross paid our penalty. And there he died, an excruciating death of suffocation. But he did not die in vain. He died that we may have life and that we may have a relationship with him. And he died that you may have meaning and find meaning in your own suffering and in your own grief. So if you are in the middle of it today, good news. We will never experience the suffering or grief that Jesus doesn't understand. You never will. And as you look to him for meaning in your own suffering, there's a couple things that I want you to understand this morning that that can be helpful if you, as you're trying to figure out what, what is the purpose of my own pain and my own torment, torment and my own suffering. As we look at Christ's suffering, as you look at what he did for us, it can bring meaning to your own pain. And here's a couple ways. Number one, you can find joy in your suffering. Jesus did. See, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. See, it's Jesus in the middle of his brutality of his beating, in the middle of his getting his beard pulled out, in the middle of having a purple robe on him and being mocked, in the middle of feeling so much pain and suffering. In those moments, he had joy. He had joy because he knew what he was doing for you. He had joy because he knew about his future reign. He had joy because he knew who his father was. He had joy because he knew he would have victory over death. He knew his inheritance. He knew his reign and he experienced that joy. Paul talks about that all over the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. Over and over and over, as Paul is experiencing pain and suffering, he says, I count it joy to face all these sufferings. For the sake of Jesus Christ, I count it joy. I've experienced this in my own life, in the middle of sorrow and grief, experiencing immense joy. 14 years ago, my dad passed away. He was my hero, like my hero. And, uh, Two years prior to when he died, he was diagnosed with leukemia. It was a rough time, rough time in my family. I was on staff here. It was, it was rough days, honestly, here. It was stressful here. Um, and, I, and I just had to go through the season of watching my dad suffer. I'll never forget the phone call that I got when the, my dad told me, hey, good news, the leukemia, it's in remission. And about that same time, Kara and I found out that, uh, that she was pregnant um, with our second child, Carter. And things were looking great. Dad's gonna beat this. God's given us another gift of another boy and we are so happy. But it didn't turn out like we thought. Through various complications of the leukemia, my father passed away. And I remember 
at the funeral. Some of you, I know, were there at the funeral. First at the church, Sulphur Springs. I was in that lobby area of Sulphur Springs, and I was about to walk into the actual worship center. And as I turned the corner, I saw all the people that were there that came to honor uh, my father. And as I walked into the worship center, my wife, Kara, reached down and grabbed my hand. And in that moment, I experienced this immense sense of sorrow and grief, but also joy and hope. And they were intertwined and mingled together. And it was a holy, sacred moment. And it was so, so good. Some of you may remember Rick Warren. He was a uh, pastor in California. He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Um, his book came out. It was a smashing success. During the time when his book came out, his wife was also diagnosed with cancer. And so during an interview one time, Rick said, you know, I always thought life was just a series of mountains and valleys, that you would have some seasons where it was wonderful and awesome, and then you'd have other seasons where you just kind of lived in this valley of pain and suffering. He said, but you know, I've discovered that that's not necessarily true. I think what makes more sense is it's like a railroad track. And at any given time, one of those rails is going through some really horrible, horrific things. But one of those railroad tracks is going through joy and happiness and hope. And it's okay to have both. And when we view Christ and his suffering and know what he did to us, it gives our suffering purpose. And we can feel and experience joy in the midst of our own suffering. Second thing I want you to know is that your suffering can absolutely expand the kingdom of God. When Jesus and his disciples in, in John chapter nine were walking on the road, they came across this man who was blind by birth. Since birth, he's been, not by birth, but since birth, he's been blind. And his disciples came up to him and said, Jesus, oh my goodness, Jesus, why is this man blind? What did he do? Is this man blind because of his sins or is this man blind because of his parents' sins? And Jesus said, neither one. This man is not blind because of his sin. And this man is not blind because of his parents' sin. And then Jesus gave a totally different answer that they were not expecting. Jesus said, he is blind that I may display my power. Jesus was saying that, that he will use this man's blindness to further the kingdom of heaven. And some of you are here today and going through some incredible difficult times and you're wondering why? And that age old question comes up. Why does good, bad things have to happen to good people? Why? And I got great news for you. I don't know. Like I have no idea. And nobody does. But, but what we do know is that God can use your pain and your suffering to advance and to further his kingdom. 
There's a couple that go to the early service. Their name's Phil and Dee Holland. Phil has been through the ringer. Phil has um, suffered through COVID. He was in the hospital for months. Recovered out. He's back in the hospital facing some more uh, medical diagnosis. I had the honor of visiting Phil in the hospital on Friday. And I, and I felt compelled to, to tell him the story of Jesus and the disciples and the blind man. And Phil looked at me and he smiled and he said, Dee and I were just talking about this. Like we were just having this conversation. And if you know anything about Phil, he is allowing God to use his suffering. He didn't understand it, but he's allowing God to use his suffering for the advancement of the kingdom. I can't tell you how many gospel messages and conversations they've had because of his illnesses. It's amazing to see how God is working in their life. I, I think the prophet Habakkuk stated it clearly when he said this. Even though the fig trees have no fruit and the grapes and no grapes grow on the vine, and even though the olive crop fails and that the fields produce no grain, and even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty, I will still be joyful and glad because the Lord God is my savior. Look at the cause and effect of this, of this uh, few verses. The cause and effect of the relationship in these verses. Even though I will. How would you make that your own? Maybe for you, it's even though the cancer is rampant. Maybe for you, it's even though my marriage is in shambles. Maybe for you, it's even though I am overwhelmed with grief, I will still be joyful and glad because the Lord God is my savior. How, how will you fill in those blanks in your own life? How will you allow your own pain and suffering to have meaning? As you look at what Christ did for you, Will you experience the joy in your suffering? Will you experience the fact that God has a purpose in your suffering and he can use that to further your kingdom, his kingdom? Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna end our time. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Ask that you would just take the bread And as we think about this, and we've talked a lot about it this morning, we, we just wanna consider the body of Christ that was broken. And, and as you eat this bread together, would you remember the sacrifice that Christ made for you? We eat this bread together. And then would you take the juice? And as we drink this juice, would you remember the blood that was spilt for you? Let's drink together.
And folks, don't let that be the end of the story. But as you look at his grief in full view, would that allow you to be compelled to spread his message and to spread his gospel? We're gonna have an opportunity. We're gonna sing a response song and we've have some prayer team folks and they're gonna be down here at the front. And during this song, I want you I want you just to spend some time with the Lord and you may be so overcome with your grief that the best thing you may wanna do is you may wanna come down here and pray at the altar. You may wanna pray with one of these folks from the prayer team. And, And may this be a time that you just begin to fill in the, even though, even though, even though I will. And you would just begin to dedicate that to the Lord. And maybe for you, you just need to give the Lord your grief today. And there's one more thing. There are some in this room that no doubt don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot about what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross today. We talked a lot about the fact that he can give your life meaning and he can give your life purpose and that he understands every single bit of heartache that you experience. And if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, today can be your time to give your life to Christ. I would encourage you to do this. Be bold, be brave. Just come down here when we start singing and just tell one of these prayer altar people, I need Jesus and they'll take it from there. Let's go back to that next step room, that glass room, and just tell somebody, I need Jesus. They'll take it from there. And you pray with me, and after we pray, we'll sing, you stand, please. And let's pray together. Father, this morning, we look at your suffering. Father, we look at the work that you did for us on the cross and we are overwhelmed with gratitude. And Father, may that allow our own suffering and pain to have great meaning. May we experience joy. May we experience you working in our life to expand your kingdom. And Father, now we pray that you would meet with us, those of us in this room, that you would do the work, that you would heal, you would restore. You would do only the things that you can. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.